It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Chad Brendel of Bearcat Journal and Rick Roaring of Musketeer Report the day after Villanova won its second NCAA championship in, in the last three years. And um, it, it's really no surprise. It was the team that we kind of all thought passed the eyeball test all year. The analytics really started to show itself in, in the tournament. And, and, and really, I think they showed Monday why they were so hard to beat. You want to take one thing away? You want to take this thing away? They got another thing, or another guy, or three other guys. They, I, it was good to see, in, in my opinion, the best team win. When they were healthy this year, there is no doubt that they were the most dominant team in college basketball. And it was not as, just the best, the most dominant. And, and this was as dominant of a season as I can remember a team having in recent memory from start to finish. Yeah, and again, people are going to look and go, well, yeah, but they lost some game, but some of that was injury-related, and you're going to lose some games in this day and age. You just don't. I don't know that they would have without the injuries. Maybe. Seriously. May, yeah, maybe. I mean, look at the games they lost. It, like, they, it wasn't like they got popped. Uh, yeah, and, and you put you know, a healthy Phil Booth or, or whatever, you know, I think they probably win those games. So like, like, I think legitimately if that team had been healthy. Run the table. They, they had a, not that they would have for sure, but a very realistic possibility that we could have been talking about a 40-0 team. That was a very complete well-structured, well-built team. And also in a year where, as we've talked about, there wasn't other teams up there to compete with them in terms of being a complete dominant type team. There's just no one else was like that this year. Everyone else had major holes from Duke's defense to uh, Kansas's lack of creators and offensive weapons at time and the pieces didn't always fit well together and Michigan State had their issues with creating offense. Like, turning the ball over. Yeah, I mean, there were just so many. All the top teams had weird deficiencies that were glaring at times and once Villanova they, had nothing. Really. Once they got healthy and, and when they got healthy, the defense got back on track. I mean, that was just a runaway train. Like Michigan last night, and I tweeted this, they, they it felt like the first 12 minutes – Michigan threw everything they had at Villanova, and they were up three. Yeah, I, it, I, I did think, watching the first ten minutes, though, Michigan, I thought, did a great job guarding them, though. I thought they, they did, but that's, they that's my, they, well, they yeah. guarded, they were in the passing lanes, they yeah. got some steals, they made some plays. It felt like get, Wagner get, was get, playing well. Yeah, getting guys on drives and getting in the gap and stealing. I mean, they, I, I thought they played really well defensively I, the first ten minutes. I thought they played really mostly well offensively the first ten minutes. And then the little dry spell hit. And if you have a four- to five-minute dry spell against Villanova, all of a sudden you're down nine at halftime and going, how in the hell do we make up nine points on these guys? You don't. You can't. Yeah, you don't. Um, Brian Snow brought up the fact as soon as the final four ended, he mentioned that it was going to be interesting matchup-wise because Michigan relied so much on Mo Wagner. And what Mo Wagner does is – pick and pops, and slip screens. Villanova switches all the screens. So they were able to deal with that. And granted, Michigan and Beeline did a great job of scheming a few things early to get Wagner some looks. They, I mean, it was some, some sort of slick screen slips and stuff like that kind of confused Villanova on defense. But once Jay Wright saw it, got his guys to adjust, you're right. I mean, it was like Michigan shot their shot and it was gone from there they had nothing left they're like well there it was yeah. that they was shot all we their, had. they shot their shot and looked at the scoreboard and went uh-oh yeah up three well, okay, i mean who, who else creates for michigan right i mean who well, else yeah, creates? that's you know that's the like and i the positionless basketball thing yeah it sounds great in theory you gotta have a point guard no doubt you got it like that 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 position is not positionless the difference between Villanova and Jalen Brunson yeah, and Michigan and, and Xavier Simpson with a Z is Grand Canyon wide. Yes. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the position, I get what you're saying to a certain extent. The positionless basketball, I think, usually refers more to the idea that you're not playing traditional post players and you're not as worried about, do we have a shooting guard? Do we have a power forward? Do you're I have a like, five? Do I have a true post? Right, you're just looking more of like, we have wings and a point guard and maybe... The college level, though, but there's but teams that are, that are, you know, like Shake Milton was, was SMU's point guard and they called that positionless basketball. Shake Milton's not a point guard. He's a scoring wing that can handle the ball. I think, yeah. like, 
I mean, you're you're getting into um, the whole if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one type situation. Like some of those teams just didn't have a point guard, right? And so right. then they try to mask that as positionless basketball. Right, that's that's what I'm getting at. But I don't think any team that's like because I mean Villanova was kind of at the forefront of this positionless basketball but movement. Have, but they have a point guard, right? But like that was always insinuated. Like no one has said like let's do this without a guy who can run the team, right? I think everyone agrees you need a point guard. But I also think when you look at the NBA and the guys who go on to be point guards. It's not usually like a pass-first distributing guy. It's usually like a lead guard that right. can really score, too. So you can have a 6'4 scoring guard as long as he has great feel and can also run your team and, yeah. and pass and, and get other guys involved. So let's talk about how Villanova put this team together. Well, no, it's it's going to be my actual question. Not just this team. How they done it two of the last three years with, with different parts, but different parts, and you look and, and they're still... Older different parts, which, you know, usually if you're going to do this, you have a run, run ends, you build to the next run in four years, run ends. This is two in the last three years with, with some different parts to it. And with this team, you'd like to say in some ways they got lucky because, you know, Omar Spellman wasn't eligible last year. So he had like right. a redshirt year where you didn't have to force him to redshirt. The NCAA did. Um there were some other guys that like got injured. And then Mikel Bridges was kind of a slow starter. You know, he, he developed later. So... This team came together and had all these guys with experience on it, but they, this isn't new. This is how Jay Wright has been doing it. Right. So how have they been able – because they're recruiting that, 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 at a high enough level. No, they're I'm, getting I, top 100 guys. That's the point I'm, I, I guess I'm asking, and maybe there's no answer. There's no clear – how has he done that? But he's getting them to stay around. One, he's getting them to stay around, and two, he's identifying guys that fit. That's, that's it, a huge exactly part. Exactly what he wants to do. But Got that's it. but that's great, and, and you're right. But what happens when you do grab that guy who says after one year I'm gone, and then you don't have that guy that fits any longer? That's the point that's been interesting to me is how has he kept them around? Nobody's been ready after one year. Rick, hit, I mean, you might see Omari Spellman leave. I doubt, yeah, he's a late second round guy, probably. But I mean, he still might guy. leave. Yeah, but, you're right. But might. even in that case, he had already he, sat out yeah, a year. Yeah. But I'm saying he only played one. So no, no, I know. I'm just saying, like from the luck standpoint, yeah. yeah, you got him to develop it. It wasn't a one and done Omari Spellman. It was a guy who was on campus and knew your system yeah. for two years at least, and that. Like that changes things, obviously. Well, You're a completely it, different player after you've been in a program for two years. What six guys on that roster redshirted? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like some either, some of, either from redshirting or from transfer right. in in Pascal's case, but six guys, six redshirts. They're veteran. They're older, and it, it it all comes together a lot easier when you have Jalen Brunson. Like that's you. I don't think you can stress that enough because the the kid controls the game. And it's, he knows if it's his, you know, if it's his night where he's got the mismatch, he's got a smaller point guard. One of you know, old man Skinny's favorite things is a point guard taking a smaller guy down into the post. Yeah, no, and, and putting, he's, he's and great putting at twelve it. points on him yeah. as a post up, you know. But when he doesn't, he knows where Bridges is. He knows where his guys about, you know how about me not to cut you off how about the drive last night he gets to the rim he's about to shoot a layup <laughs> turns and just i didn't even how did he even know the dude was in the corner i think it was spelman he does that spelman, yeah. he does that three times a game like <laughs> he's so good at once that defense collapses the instant he feels that defense collapsing he'll stop and just fire a pass to anywhere around right. the three point line and they bang him home but how how do you copy this style of can. roster building. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to ask you guys this because um, there is a fine line, and and we've argued this. I'm not a I'm not a huge the way Cal does it guy because I don't I don't know if it's working. I, I just don't. But hear me out on this. Hear me out on this. Um, I, I, we, we've seen since the one and done era came in, which was the 2006 NCAA tournament, it was a 2005 NBA rule. Since it came in, you've had only two champions that have had more than one freshman be in the top five in scoring. The flip side is, when you're looking at taking the talent that Cal's taken, it's hard to say, nah, I don't want that guy. But maybe there is a fine line of going, all right, I'll, I like three of them, but I don't want six and seven and eight of them. I want three of them, and I'll take three developmental guys, whatever that means. And, and I'm just trying to figure this out because Jay Wright has found it. He has found it. There's a sweet I mean, spot. Carolina's team last year was a veteran team. Carolina was hampered by... The NCAA stuff hanging over right, them, right? So they couldn't recruit at that elite yeah, level. It, but it, it worked out great. But there's, there's a where is the five to seventy five. 
Because if you look, most of that roster is in the 25 to 75 range. Yeah. In, in the recruiting rankings, the players. You know, they're not, they're not bagging top five recruiting classes. They're not hanging their hat on that. They just go out. They find guys in that 25 to 75, 25 to 100 range. They bring them in. They develop them. And right now they've got it. But I think there's also... So what do you say to the one-and-done group, though? Which K are doing it wrong by assembling the most talented teams they can. I would still do that. But there does seem to be... There has to be this... supplementary pieces, though. Yeah. And well, if, if you look at the, the, the two title teams, they had... Yes, and that's what I was going to touch on. Too. Yeah, I think that's the key is getting to those complementary pieces. But you you have to like Cal's kind of a victim of his own yes. sending guys to the NBA success because some of the guys he recruits that would theoretically like even Shea Gilgis Alexander when he recruited him that would have been a guy who was theoretically going to stick Two around to three years that wasn't even close to being ready right. to the NBA. Now he's a one and done guy. Like give Cal credit to a certain extent for developing all these guys into NBA talents as soon as they're on campus, but. He is a victim of that success to a certain extent and being so willing to be to push his guys towards the NBA, yeah. which I think is a good idea, but it puts you in that, the situation that he's in. The, the thing is, we haven't seen... I'll, I, I hearken that this team... We've seen basically four dominant teams over the past 25 years. Duke in the early 90s, Kentucky in the mid-90s, mm -hmm. Florida... In the mid two thousands, in the mid two thousands, and then this Villanova team. This Villanova team is a lot like the Florida very team, very absolutely, very much. Uh, there was more turnover with this bunch than there was with that bunch, yeah. but all around that same recruiting range, twenty five to seventy five, and all just immediately clicked. Like the pieces, just yes, it, it's, it's it's exactly what we hammered on Kentucky for all year. The pieces didn't fit right. The pieces for Villanova all had a perfectly defined place that they went on the board, and when you put them together, it was exactly right. That's how that Florida team was. Yeah, no doubt. And Joe Kim Noah came out of kind of nowhere to develop into a hell of a player. Yeah, but you had Brewer and yeah, Horford, right, and right. I mean, it was yeah. really good. So if you're watching this as a local basketball fan, yes. I think you have to feel like, you, if you're a UC or Xavier fan, you have to feel like, for the most part, you're on the right track yes. in terms of how you're trying to build this. Now, both teams need to take more steps in those directions. Like, for UC, they probably need to land a few more guys in that 25 to 75 range and not quite like the, the 200 or the 125. 150. Yeah. 75 to 125 is the guys that have contributed the most. Right. But, but I think at that back end, they get a few too many guys that don't contribute until a little bit as a senior or something like that. Right. Like the guys that just hang around on the roster, they probably need a couple more of those guys to be in that range that maybe they could contribute to and you get another player out of that. On the Xavier side, probably, well, I mean, look at their classes have been a little more up and down. Sometimes they've had the, the higher rated pieces. Sometimes they've swung and missed. But what I think they need more is the guys who fit the system all the way around. It's like they seem to be able to get, well, you had Trayvon and JP at the same time, and Akaiza, like you had these guys that can really shoot and, and all these skill pieces. You didn't quite have the defense that you would have wanted last year to go with such a talented squad. So I think you have to put the – Villanova had that perfect team because they were so good on both ends. Guys could do both. They could switch everything. They sure. fit the system perfectly. They were so skilled and, and moved the ball, fit his style offensively. That's hard to do to get it all right, have talent and fit your system that well. But I think that's what both teams are kind of striving for. And I think Mick is really good at finding guys that fit what he wants to do. Sometimes he doesn't have quite enough talent. And, uh, and is, I don't, again, we, we can talk about philosophically, like whether you agree or not. I would rather him be a little more offensive minded than he is. But you can't argue that what, what he's done has worked in terms of regular season success. Sure. And on the flip side, I think Xavier just – they always seem to be in a, in a spot roster-wise where they're scrambling a little bit. Like they need another piece or they got to get this grad transfer to fit in. Otherwise, they're, they're right. going to be hurting this year. They're going to be a little thin. So it's just kind of interesting when you look at how they've been trying to build their teams. I think they've got the right model right now in both cases. Yeah, I, I mean, let's face it. Jay Wright had his tournament struggles for years, right? I mean, they, some, some two big, years ago, some big tournament struggles. For two years. years ago, if they failed in the tournament, the the, the year they won the he'd first have a title, bad label. No, he would have been fired. No, nah, I don't think no. he'd been fired. But I, but no, I listen, but I think the label would have been really bad. Yeah, that would have been six years in a row, seven years in a row that they would have been out before the Sweet Sixteen. 
They had six years in yeah, a row no, no, before that I, title. No, he the Villanova fans wanted him gone. No, fa- fans fans were restless, but before the switch to the new Big East, the, his seat was getting a little warm. Once they, I mean, they dominated the Big East so much instantly as soon as the switch ever happened. He would have stayed on as coach just because of the success they, they were, were having. Still, but people would have been really restless if they would have had an early exit that year, without question, because that team was loaded. Yeah, and, and they were people were antsy. He yeah. was getting high seeds once they got in the new Big East. They were dominating the conference. They were still going out early like they were. Flaming out quickly, yes. You know, and, and people weren't happy in Philadelphia with the, you know, the, they felt the program had plateaued. And it's, you know. And that's fair. Take a look at John Beeline. John Beeline's another great example. You look at the first 20 years that he coached in Division One. He got out of the first weekend twice. And those were the grit snoggle uh, West Virginia teams. <laughs> grit snoggle. Grit snoggle. <laughs> But that, that was the only success he had had. And then he missed the tournament. You know, they, they made an Elite Eight, and then the next year he missed the tournament. You know, like, suddenly he's a runner-up in a couple, now, couple years yeah, in short and, span. And now all of a sudden he's, a, you know, there people talking about Old him in the, coach. in the Hall of Fame right. and, and one of the best coaches in the game. And um, you don't know. Like, it just, it just kind of happens. And then once it happens and once you break through, then all of a sudden, it's like Xavier when they broke through to the Elite Eight. And now they've done it two more times. Two different coaches, two more times. And, and all it's of a, a sudden, it's an occurrence. Yeah, you're, you, that becomes part of your culture. That becomes part of your program. Now, does this year a chance to Absolutely. make something like that happen? Absolutely. But, unfortunately, it didn't. And now that pressure starts to mount around the Cincinnati program on we want more second weekend appearances. Now, the, you know, the part I love about that is it's sports, so the goalpost always moves. Xavier fans wanted second weekend appearances. Now they want final fours. Now four. they got to a couple of lead eights. Now they want final fours. And, the, the, you know, the goalpost always moves. And that's fandom, I suppose. But there's no, there's no like, perfect, this is what works and this is what doesn't. All right, let me ask you, though. We've talked about UC next. What does, what does Cal do? Because he's even lamented that I don't want to go through something like this again where I've got just all freshmen playing for me. What does he do? Well, I mean, I think it starts with who all sticks around from this year's team. I think there's going to at least be a couple. So I guess the question is, do you have to get fortunate that you have some of those guys stick around then? I don't think it has to be fortunate. I just think he has to, like, you've you've recruited some guys now who aren't five stars, that aren't only one-and-dones. You have to have a few of those stick around. Like, but that's the problem, is getting them to stay. Yeah, like, it, it, the, if you're going to watch your buddies the, who are one-and-dones that you're peers with, go after one year or two years or whatever, like you're going to be in that same mindset, set, especially when you're contributing in a similar manner. So I think it's just a matter of like finding guys who are talented, who aren't ready to go to the NBA. Maybe they're a little shorter. Maybe they're a little like they have a deficiency. Maybe they're just not like a physical freak that's ready for the NBA. Maybe they grew up in Kentucky rooting for the cats. Maybe. I mean, if that Hawkins person, and Willis stayed. They did. Fami Richie Farmer. Darius, I mean, Darius Miller was a big part of that 2012 team. Yeah. Huge part of it. I mean, as I, a senior, I, I, I've well, generally say, as a senior, someone did something. I've generally been against that whole concept, but I think there are kids that will stay. You have to find the ones that have the talent, obviously, to play high major basketball. But if you're trying to find kids that will stay and not be frustrated that they're being recruited over and that their minutes aren't always there. It's an, in-state, that grew kid. Up, it's an in-state kid. And that's that's a big part of the whole getting guys to stay thing. If you're going to constantly be recruiting a five star over top of them to play the next year as a freshman, it's hard to stick around and want to do that. Yeah, it happened your freshman year. Then you think, all right, I'm a sophomore. Now here are my minutes. Okay, well here comes two more five stars at shooting guard, and you're the third guy again. And then you're a junior, and here's another five star, and maybe one from the year before stayed, and you're the third guy again. Like it, that's the problem with with the one and done in terms of building that depth is. You don't, you don't know. know. Like, right. like, would 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 you be shocked if Javon Delorier left Duke this year? No, because that's a kid. Anywhere he w- else he went in the country could be averaging twelve and seven and playing twenty five thirty minutes a night. And now he's got Zion and Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett all coming in. That RJ is more of a wing, but you know they're all going to play the same minute. You know, take and he's going into his junior season and he's hardly played. How do you get them to stay? That, that's that's how do you get them to be seniors? What's the path that you convince them 
six minutes a game is going to be worth it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to convince them that, no question. But I also think this is fun because it's kind of changed the landscape of college basketball. Those schools are now in a t- like kind of a tough spot recruiting-wise, yeah. and it's not a tough spot because you're getting the best players in the country every year. But the problem is it's a lot more... Is it a formula to win a national championship? It's a lot more volatile. Like I think you'll still do it. You'll see the Kentucky team. You'll see the Duke team that we saw win national championships, but you got to get it all right in one year. You don't have like time to build it, and and that's hard again. If you don't have, if you have less to none veteran guys, even if it's a sophomores of veterans, been through it at least a year, it's tough to do that, man. But it's also tough to expect like these teams to just be in a Final Four in a national title game every year just because of the best team in college basketball. Like that's not how it worked previous to this when they right. had guys staying four years either. So we also put like these expectations on Kentucky and Duke, and it's like if they go a few years without winning one, it's like oh, it's not working for them. It's like well. Maybe it is, but like the tournament just is the tournament. Yeah, right. You no, know, that's fair. That's fair. All right, good. Can we stay on the game yeah, for a second? Yeah. Uh, Dante Divincenzo was awesome last night. You think? And you know what the best play was? It wasn't the, the block. Threes, the block. It the was block the, was unreal. That's the that's the NBA play right there. That's the play where you go, oh, that dude is crazy. Elevator, athletic. top floor. Yeah, two hands. <laughs> that's the only guy we've seen do that all year is Kanate. And he's the best shot blocker in the country. Two-hand pin against the rim. Now, that was kind of freaky, that pin against the rim, but still. Unbelievable. Oh, you're talking about that one. Yeah. I was talking about no, the other yeah, one yeah. with two hands oh, that one too. Oh, yeah. That's, that was and insane. It, yeah, above the rim. That was ridiculous. Um, so, you've got Spellman, who's clearly an NBA guy, I think, after this tournament. Bridges, Brunson. I think DiVincenzo is going to be an NBA guy as they well. they got four. They've got four NBA guys on that team. The more interesting conversation to have about DiVincenzo, though, is immediately after the game, of course, the entire country has no idea who he is. They find out. They start searching through his, his Twitter. And um, they find some things that he said. 14-year-old Dante DiVincenzo which, was a wild man. Yeah. Um, quoting a lyric, though. Right or wrong? I quoting a lyric. I, well, on that one, that yeah, one so, doesn't bother me so, at all. So he dropped the N-word, yeah. um, which, let's be honest. There's zero question that Dante DiVincenzo used to say the N-word as a high school kid. Absolutely. Like 13, a thousand There was no doubt about that. No one thought he didn't. Like, So I'm not even sure why people are like surprised by that. His black friends were, were cool with it, I bet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you say that. Um, and then there were some sexually explicit tweets from a 14-year-old Dante DiVincenzo. I hate that we do this. I do too. No, but I also love that we do this. The best one was the soccer one. Yeah, he was. I didn't see the soccer. His, his dad now thinks he's a. We'll say wussy. It's not exactly what it said. Yeah, but because he's not playing soccer anymore. Wow, I didn't see that. Yeah, uh, yeah. He also said his mom calls him first thing. His mom calls him as a little s. Um. So he he made his parents look really good. Like yeah, their, their proudest moment of yeah. their son turns into <laughs> we used to be jerks as parents. Yeah. Um. But this is like the Mitch Trubisky when he got drafted. He was kissing tees. Yeah. Like uh, these are amazing moments for social media. But it's also just like it's such an awful thing to go like, back and delete that stuff, yo. But but you wouldn't even know, like you wouldn't even think these kids grow up like just living with it, and they're expressing their lives at twelve and fourteen, and like the stuff we used to say was terrible too. Like Absolutely. you would not want you would not want anyone knowing oh what God. you said when you were fourteen. Oh, I'm not sure I want anybody to know what I say now. I mean, I could only imagine if there was social media when I was fourteen. Holy crap! This is what I'm saying. So it's like it's totally unfair to do. I mean, I, a white kid from Ellesmere that was listening to like NWA and, and <laughs> that it, would, it probably looked a lot like Dante Divincenzo's Twitter. Quite a bit. Yeah, I, I, the, the fact that I like that. I don't know how that happened. Yes, you do. Just <laughs> yeah. no, that's it. Just own it, Chief. Just I was, I was fourteen years old. My I was man. hacked. My man. <laughs> Don't go the I got hacked route when people are pulling up tweets from 2011. I got hacked. No one was hacking you in 2013. Nope, they were not. That's all you all the time. Just own it. And if you think you need to apologize for it, apologize for it. Parents, don't give your kids Twitter at 12. There's there's that as well. Also, don't make them quit soccer or don't force them to play (laughs) soccer, apparently. I mean, Uh, that one was fair. Like, that. Dad just fair speaking, call. Dad Wait, just fair fair by the dad or fair by by DiVincenzo. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he was fair to call his dad out on that. Yeah, like yeah. his dad deserved to be called on the carpet. The kid it's didn't want to play soccer. The Sunday family DiVincenzo dinners must have been a lot of fun. Just calling each other names <laughs> and just around the table, everybody picked different names. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, the way that kid you plays. You're grandma's coming over tonight. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. that. You knew that that family was a little rough around the edges because that kid is tough. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Did you see him? The pictures, like, when they showed him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, 
you, you knew they were a little rough around the edges. That didn't come as a shock. That, there's not a lot of polish. There's your, there's your next TV show, the DiVincenzo Sunday Family Dinner. Man. Coming to Sundance TV. Would that follow up like uh, Martha and Snoop's potluck? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which is the best show on TV, by uh, the way. That's good stuff. All right, let's move on to the Xavier uh, coaching change um, where Travis Steele was not surprised that he, he was named. I think we were all surprised at the timing of it on, on a mid-Saturday afternoon where it just kind of popped into my inbox and, and uh, kind of made A weird me- way to do it. It was it was it was very weird. I, I but but neither here nor there. He still yeah, no, nothing bad about it. It was just I mean there's, strange. There's, like there's, there's two things. I know there's probably a faction of the fan base that's you know wants the head coaching experience guy, whoever that is, wants a, a bigger name, whoever really. that is. But I mean, when you interview seven candidates, I think you've done your due diligence. I mean, you may have gone in with a preconceived notion. He's my guy, and Rick, I'm, you need to wow me in order for me to change my mind. Okay, but I think you did your due diligence. And let's face it. It's not like this formula hasn't worked. In the, in the, this is a program now. This isn't just a coach. This is a pro. When you have three straight coaches go to three different coaches go to elite eights, you're not just a coach. You're a program. Yeah, I think everyone agrees with that. You've heard that said throughout the entire process when Chris was considering things, and you know there are a bunch of columns that just came, seem to keep repeating themselves. Xavier will be all right even after this, and it's true. Um, there is always the chance that you get it wrong, but I think the most impressive thing that Greg Christopher did, and Brian Snow said this on our Xavier podcast the other day, he didn't try to be the smartest guy in the room. Right. He, he went out, he got opinions from all types of people, and then he didn't try to say, I need to put my stamp on this program yes. by bringing in my guy or being you know super clever and getting a name or anything like that. He was like... Because I had my five names in a drawer, and I was pulling one of those five names out. Right. Yeah, he was just like, uh, this guy knows what's going on. He's passed... A-. The thing about Steele is... People brought up the, like, well, why has he been an assistant for that long and not take another job? He's pulled out of, like, seven jobs yeah. because he wanted to get the Xavier job. And he's didn't been waiting to... on Louisville job to open for Mac to go there yeah. so he could take Xavier. He didn't want to leave this area. You know, it wasn't like he wasn't a hot name and a guy that people weren't considering for jobs. He stayed loyal and kept saying, like, I want the Xavier job when it comes open. And it happened again this offseason with Middle Tennessee State. He got a good offer. He pulled out and said, I'm going to take my shot at the Xavier job. And I think it was good that... He, he got that opportunity, and they rewarded him for his loyalty. I think it's an interesting case study in doing what needed to be done to keep the train rolling. Because, you know, you, you're going to probably keep the roster together. You're going to keep the recruiting class together. If they bring in somebody from the outside, there's a good chance a lot of that could have fallen apart. Yeah. And Xavier's looking at two to three years where – you're rebuilding. They're scrambling. Yeah. Yeah. They're scrambling to, to get back. And what a guy that age, what is the timetable on his gaining the experience and gaining the in game head coaching knowledge? Um, you know, what's that what's that learning curve? And I, I think, you know, he should be fine, but I, I do think we saw it with Chris. You know, there was a two or three year period at the beginning of Chris's tenure where it was, I don't want to say bumpy, but it was clear he was growing into the job. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had Sean's guys. I think the first year you had Jordan Crawford and I mean, a young to Holloway and whatever, but like mostly Jordan Crawford made you a competitive team, but it wasn't a team that Chris was comfortable with coaching. And then things were tumultuous after that because he didn't have his guys and guys he was comfortable coaching. Yeah. Travel probably have a little less of that because... There's not going to be as he's, his, his he's guys left, and Chris's guys are kind of the same thing, right? And he is he was left in a position that was more like I mean Sean took a couple of the recruits out of that class with him to yeah. Arizona, so he left more of a I mean again Jordan Crawford is there, so you can't say he left the cupboard bare, but he left a tougher situation than Chris is leaving. Yeah, I, and I'm not saying it's a I'm just saying there's a, there's I think a lot of the the good with Travis involves making sure that everything stayed where Chris had left it, 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 you know, like not having that drop off. It, it does you no good to say the old coach left us in a better spot if everything falls off a cliff and right. now you have to, to get back up, you know. Yeah. What is the learning curve for Travis Steele going to be, especially in a Big East where Jay Wright, Ed Cooley, you know, there's there's a lot of good quality coaches in that league that because he's young, Steele is going to have to work through some kinks. That doesn't mean he can't win. That doesn't mean I'm saying Xavier's going to stink. I'm just curious as to how long that adjustment period is 
with him in the head chair. But, but and, I also think, though, there would have been an adjustment period to get the roster right with a proven I, yeah, that, coach. That, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's the balance of the yeah. two. I, I think Greg Christopher probably did the right thing. Um, I think it's going to end up working out, but I'm just curious what the bump is when he gets into, you know, are you battling for, you know, fourth or fifth place in the Big East for two or three years instead of being up there for second and being, you know, Xavier's kind of positioned themselves as the team right behind Villanova in that pecking order. If there's two to three years of being fourth or fifth, not a bad thing. You're still going to be in a tournament. You're still going to be successful, but you know, what's that bump? And that, that's all. I I think it's they did the right thing. I think they, they did what they had to do to, to stay on track, definitely. Yeah, in the short term, it's a home run because of the roster situation. In the long term, we'll see, and that would have gone for anybody. Yes, so yeah, right. The, the, the best you can say is everything's going to work out in the in the short term with the roster. But and uh, outside of that, it would have been up for grabs no matter who you hired. They have to prove themselves. Now, they did lose the one grad transfer, Boudreaux, but... I'm assuming they'll go then after at least another grad transfer. Yes. Oh yeah, they would. I mean, they would have been going after another right. grad transfer anyway, even yeah. if Chris was here. So um, now they don't have Boudreaux coming in. It makes them a little bit thinner. They'll be looking at. I think you, you definitely would like to add a shooter on the wing um, to go with this athletic, more defensive-minded unit you'll have next year. And then if you can get another experienced big guy to place Boudreaux spot, that would be great too. Um, when when you look at the the loss of assistance, what what does what what does Travis need to do there? Well, I think the biggest – I mean, Mike Pegues and Luke Murray are both big losses. They're both really good recruiters, and from that standpoint, it's going to hurt you. They're also guys that the players liked and were good with player development, so that's going to hurt you. But losing Pegues, from a standpoint of what he's done in developing bigs the last – basically since he got to Xavier, when you think about – Matt Stainbrook, Jalen Reynolds, James Farr, so forth and so on, on down the list even this year's guys, Sean O'Mara and and Karim Cantor. He's Tyreek Jones. He's meant so much to their development and the way this program has played. That's a huge loss. And I don't know that you just replace a guy like that. I don't know that there's many guys like that in the country that are big man whisperers in that way. You know, I think a lot of guys can do player development. I don't know how many of them are that good. So he has to find a big man's coach, I would think that would be. But like at the same time, most most coaches all feel like they can teach player development right. and skills. Correct. So Correct. I the think thing, the thing with I'll just say this about Pegues, the thing that always impressed me the most is you would see a guy from year to year, and when you would see him the next season, he'd put like five different moves that he had never done before in his life into his into his bag. Yeah, this move, and then the counter. There'd be that a reverse move. pivot, yeah. or an, you know, yeah. something where he would get stuck the year before. He'd come back the next year, and all of a sudden, he's got this other counter to what he had been doing before that had gone into his arsenal, and that's really tough. Like that's, it's not that's not just player development. That's big man coach. Yeah, teaching teaching the footwork the way he did is just without a, without question something that's unique to him. I think. Um, so I think you would like to hopefully find someone like that if you can, but that's going to be really difficult. The big thing for Trav is, as he mentioned, you're going up against a lot of really good experienced coaches in the Big East. So I think he's going to want to find guys with experience. You know, a couple guys on his bench that that can keep you know help him in the in the coach's locker room after a game keep his head cool maybe before he talks to his team help him with x and o stuff which i don't think he needs a ton of yeah, help with, know, but it's right, always good right. to have another voice sure. with experience that says hey maybe think about this in this moment or against this defense or whatever so that's what i'm sure he's looking for there's a name on your board that would be a grand slam yeah, com. Check it out. We've got we've got pretty much, I think, all the names that are probably being considered. And then there's another name or two that are probably out there that could be in the mix that we'll we haven't talked. You're closer. on the same page with me on this one, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the timeline? Uh, I think you'll see. April at, 20th. <laughs> I think you'll see probably two of the assistants hired before April 20th when the first evaluation right. period is. And that could be like as soon as this week. Yeah. He'll be he'll conduct interviews over the next few days. He's getting introduced. We're doing this on Tuesday. He's getting uh, introduced as coach on Wednesday. Right. So um, that's, yeah, I think, I think that's sort of what to expect. I think the third position might float a little longer because they've got Jeremy Grow staying with them on staff in one form or another. He could be the third assistant, or he could be the guy who goes out and does some recruiting for the first month, kind of gets a feel of things. And then at least gets a taste of it and then goes back to his role as, I don't know what his role will be. Right. It was operations. It could be that still. It could be something new. I'm not sure yet. We'll see how that works out. Keep in mind, if you were to say, 
hire or intend to hire a coach that's not employed right now, he can work a little bit outside of the NCAA if you don't announce him right away for this first recruiting period. Just a, I, I mean, it's happened many, many times before where a guy, for whatever reason, is out of work right now, and you won't see him announced until after the live periods are over because there's just a lot more restrictions yeah, that right. you have to follow right. once you're employed and walking around with a logo on. But if you see a coach that's not currently coaching walking around in blue that doesn't have <laughs> an X on it, probably ha- sending a message. Happens to be sitting with all the parents. Yeah. <laughs> Just so happens talking to, about Xavier basketball. Yeah, just so happens to be in the restriction you know section. I really like. <laughs> you know who's going to do a heck of a job? Yeah, that Travis Steele. That Travis Steele guy. Have you talked to Travis Steele? I, t- I met him yesterday at dinner. Well, what a what a fine young man that is. <laughs> uh, Huggins did it for a year, and then hired away Delonte Hill from from Charlotte and cost his French lifelong yeah. friendship with Bobby Lutz so he could land Michael Beasley. That program's gone downhill since then too. For goodness' yeah, sake, ha- hasn't gone well for Charlotte. Dude, no, no more, no more Diego Guevara blowing, blowing kisses. kisses. What a clown! Shout out to Brennan Plavic. I like that even better. I, that, that kid could shoot. Yeah. All right, on to UC, where Jacob Evans, not surprisingly, has put his name into the NBA draft. Has not hired an agent, um, but you thought all along he's go- he was going to do this A and B is probably going to leave his name in. Yeah, I think the big thing for Jacob will be: does he get a combine invite? Right. If he gets a combine invite, I would say close the book. You know that that's going to be the end. If he doesn't get a combine invite, that's a pretty that's a signal that you're not going to get drafted. Yes. And if but you're he- not. He's projected right now, and obviously this is so fluid and chan- can change. Here's the thing: mid skinny. to late second. No, the the problem with this is, and I've talked to quite a few NBA people, and I've talked to people that are you know have connections throughout the NBA. I've talked to my guys that are scouts. It is all over the place, right? It, it really is, is all over the place on him. There are people that have him back into the first. There are teams that I know. There's two teams that. I heard from over the last couple days don't even have him on their board first or second so it is as wild of a swing on a player that I that that I've experienced in terms of there's no consensus on Jacob Evans so I I, I do think he gets a combine invite I actually do but let's just say if he doesn't I mean you do think there's a chance he would come back if he doesn't get that yeah I mean if you don't get the combine invite you're not getting drafted like well but but again that doesn't mean he doesn't turn pro the kid, the kid wants to play in the NBA. His fair dreams enough. to play in sure, the NBA. Fair enough. I mean, are you going to? The question is at that point: Are you going to return to college, or are you going to go to Serbia? Right. Like, that's, or are you going to play for nineteen thousand dollars in the G League? That's not taking care of your family. You know, the, hell, the cost of attendance stipend at Cincinnati is almost eight thousand dollars, and you get room and board and and everything taken care of. Like. If he if there's a if if he feels he's going to go late first early second even mid second I think you know there's very likely that he's gone if it comes back you know no combine and and you're probably not going to get drafted I, I the smart move for him would I think be to come back to Cincinnati now what, what, what let's say what, what's the benefit to him if he comes back what 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 would you say he needs to do and and maybe to help himself actually make shots this year like he had a bad shooting year. He had, a, he had a good shooting year up until the end of February, and then from the end of February through the tournament, he was terrible. Yeah, I mean, he made some threes this year. He shot, what, like 37% from three, but he was like, he, his overall field goal percentage wasn't good. No, he went, the, the weird thing with him this year is he missed a lot of those, like, 12-footers yeah, that what, for him what are... made his game yeah, early on. Like, that was the ability to get to 12, 8 to 12 feet and just pull up and drop it in the net like it was you know, automatic. He missed a lot of those. He missed a lot of those against Nevada that probably would have won the game to give him a couple more points and pull away. Um, one, make more shots. Cause I, I do, you know, he had a stretch one for one for 17 from three down at the end of the season, which he was up over 40% for most of the year ended at 37 because he just, it was terrible the last three weeks. Um, two, I think he needs to show he's got more, he needs to be more forceful. Yeah, more of an assertive mentality. Yes, assertive is probably a better word than forceful. Um, I don't know that he can – like, I don't know that, that that's in there. Like, you know, it's like we talk about guys that – like, we talk about motor. You can't take a low-motor guy and make him a high-motor sure. guy. It, it, one out of 100, you might see that work. 
you can't take a beta and make them an alpha. It's just not. If you're not wired that way, you're not like. What what if NBA teams tell them that though, and that that's what you know that you've got. You better become it, or you just aren't going to play. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have heard that. I know over the course of their career doesn't mean it's, it's changed. Just, yeah, doesn't I mean, mean it's changed them. If it's not in you, it's not in you. I guess. I, I think you know, like I saw ESPN has them ranked as their 26th prospect in this draft, and it's like I don't I don't see that. I don't, I don't see him being a first round guy because I get it. He has a role, and people talk about him being like your traditional three and D that they keep talking about in the NBA, and it's valuable. I agree with that, but like after watching Mikael Bridges in this tournament. That's what an NBA 3 and D guy looks like. And the difference between him and Jacob Evans is vast. So do I think Jacob Evans has a chance to play a role on an NBA team at some point on somebody's bench? Yes, I do. Do I think anyone's drafting him in the first round? I find that very hard to believe. believe. The only reason I don't find it hard to believe is just what we've talked about from the terms of those teams at the back end of the first round. Are stashing guys. Yeah, they're they're not... They're not like... They're not looking for the immediate help. Well, and here's the problem with, with, with Jacob, I think, as you get into the second round. They're still looking like the, the teams that are bad, they're still looking for immediate help sure. in, the, in the early second round. You slide. How far do you slide before you find a team that's comfortable with, we're going to take a three and D bench wing? You know, like. And I think that's where I think that's where he is. He's at the end of the second round, probably, if he goes. I, knowing the interest that I've I've heard from those teams at the back end of the first. I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility somebody gives him a guarantee because he just fits he checks the boxes that they're looking for. But if he doesn't get that, I think you're right. I think he slides mid to late second round because I just they're you know, you're not gonna go to Atlanta. Atlanta's not looking to draft no, they uh, need dudes. a ninth guy. You know, a, a guy to back up Clay Thompson or James Harden, like they're not looking for that. We we got to find players. So it, it's an interesting situation. I, I I've been told many times expect him to be gone. I've heard a couple opinions since the season ended that weigh your options, and if it looks like what we're hearing, it looks like you should come back. We'll see. I, I I think it's a complete toss up right now. Those those combine invites generally go out towards the end of the month. Right. Um, if he combines what late May? Yeah, late May, May twenty fifth. Yeah. I think if he gets a combine invite, I I would I would be pretty close to closing that book. If he doesn't, we'll see. All right. Um, speaking of of NBA and and along those lines, a local guy from Princeton High School, Darius Baisley, last week announced that he's chosen not to, to go to Syracuse and will jump into the G League. Um, I think it's an interesting litmus test. I, I know I, I don't know if I want to call it, it's, it, would, it might start a trend. A trend is a lot of people that would do this, but I think it's an interesting litmus test that people will look at and kids will look at because I was trying to put myself in the shoes of a kid that, let's just say, I just don't want to go to college. You're forcing me to go for the one year. Can I suck it up for a year? Probably. But Semester. I, yeah, yeah, right. Okay, but I just don't want to go. I, I just don't. I'm that guy. I just don't want to go to college. I can relate. And, and I can make 26 grand, 19 grand, whatever. That, that's a price range of 19 to 26 grand. Um, it's not a ton of money. Maybe, who knows, I'm, I'm good enough that I was actually projected to be a lottery pick the next year. And I've already got my own shoe deal so I can get some money there. Convince me to go to college. What, can, convince me why that kid should go to college. Oh, because it'd be, it'd be a more enjoyable year. Um, I, I think that... I, I, I'll bring you to campus, show you a couple co-eds. Well, yeah, thanks, Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's, Those weren't co-eds. Oh, no, you're right. There's <laughs> a lot of thing involved, and people will call it pageantry or whatever, but aside from that, I mean, flying on chartered jets, sure. having all your meals, and having someone always telling you when you need to be somewhere, when you need to be there, catering to every I, need I, I would that you say, I wrote this, and I, I, said, I, I said, I truly think that the kids, as much as it, it – I think they actually like that structure. I really do. Oh, of course. I mean, you're Most on your own. Most need it. Well, whether they need, not it, need it, but no, no, like, no, I think they do need it, but they, they don't care if they need it. I, I, I mean, some of them don't even care if they need it, but I, I think deep down they want it. I think they discover that they need it yeah, as, it's, as, as it's just not, like granted getting up super early to go do your workout before you got to go to classes. That sucks. But in the real life, you know, when it becomes your job, you're getting up real early to just do the workout and then more workouts and meetings and film and stuff like that. So it's not 
the lifestyle really won't change all that much except for all the perks and all the people helping you, you know, and, and you go play in the G league, like no one's there waking you up in the morning. No one's there making sure you went to class or anything. And fortunately you don't have to go to class, I guess, but all the other stuff like busing to games as opposed to flying charter to yeah, plane and to getting games, like yeah. what they probably get like a uh, $15 stipend or something it's stupid. More than that, but it's like, not much. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you can do a lot in Fort Wayne for $15 <laughs> Enough for golden corral boy. Yeah. I, I just, I think it would be a more enjoyable year to spend the one year in college with a bunch of fans instead of 700 people watching you play, you know, for the uh, the Canton Charge or whatever. Well, here's here's an interesting thing I think that, that we'll find out with him on the D-League. Now these teams are all affiliated. Well, Darius Baisley's going to come in. He'll be drafted by a D-League team, but with no affiliation to their NBA. Right, because he's not eligible. Because he's he can't be called up. He can't, like... Are they? Do you get a fair shake in that environment? Are you Are you going to be on the floor as much as? See, he will. I, I've heard this argument, but that doesn't make sense because, the, like, uh, if you're a coach in the D League, you're also looking. You're in the same position as the players. You're there for a quick stop to try yeah, to but, move on. Well, but, but you in also, a way, you you're also, answering to, to yeah, you're answering to the, to an organization or two an yeah. organization that's saying I need to look at this guy because we're thinking about giving him a ten day contract because he yeah. helps us. Well, and that's fine. But how many? I mean, like, how many guys like that do you have on your specific team that also like? Why would you take Darius Baisley if you already had a guy that was in that position? You know what I mean? Like the team that theoretically drafts him. I'm assuming. Has a, a spot for him. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying they're not going to have a spot. I'm just saying. And then the coach that is coaching him is going to say, like, wait, if I can make it look like I helped develop this guy into a top draft pick in one year, I'm going to do that because I'm trying to get out of the D League as quick as possible, too. So I think any coach that takes him is going to try to look because that's your opportunity. That's what you want is to show, hey, I developed this guy. That's what Eric Musselman did. Like, Eric Musselman got a lot of credit for developing guys in the D League, and that's how he got back out of the D League. I'm, I'm just saying those situations aren't always defined by the coach in no, those I, 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 I agree I with that. you on the coach part of it I'm talking about the organizational you know if this is the Nets team that that drafts them the Nets need freaking help like they're wondering what we've got in the D League and who we might be able to call up so how much of a fair shake are you going to get and how much of a pain in the rear end is that going to be while you're making $19,000 and living in Fort Wayne. I guess my thing is who's going to take him who's not interested in seeing what he's got. Yeah, there's just no affiliation with him, though. Like, he goes back. No, I understand how it works. You spend a year developing a guy that... And then someone else is going to draft him, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But you could also spend a year with a guy, try to figure out, hey, do we want this guy? Is he on our top board or not? You know? And it's the D-League, so it's not like... I mean, you're right. Occasionally, you have a guy or two that you're like, hey, maybe we can call that guy up. But for the most part you got a bunch of dudes you really don't care about on that team. You know what I mean? So, like, if he's one of three guys that you're interested in, I'm sure you'll find ways to get him time. I think the more interesting question is, how does this work out for Darius? Because what I think could happen is, if this does work out, I think you're going to continue to see another few kids do this. Yeah, I don't, yeah trend's they, a wrong word. It's not they, going to be a trend. Yeah. But if it works for him... I'm not as interested in what the players are going to do. I'm more interested in the NBA's reaction because I think the NBA would right, love it. Right now, the G League operates separately financially from the NBA. Even though they've got all those affiliations, affiliations right. financially, they, they're self-sustained. That's why they only have $19,000 contracts and all that. My guess is the NBA is going to all of a sudden, once they all have that one-to-one relationship with a the team, they all have their own minor league system, essentially. They're going to want to start dumping money into that and using it as a real place to farm prospects, and then you're going to see a lot more kids wanting to do that. If, if it was 50. And or the NBA then changes its rule at that point. You don't have to. Well, yeah, that's, that's that the point. This is better yeah. for the yeah. NBA. Yeah. If the, if, the, if the pay was 50 or 75. Or even before they do that, chartered jets. They, you know, like they start yeah. putting money amenities. into yeah, it and make it more right. like going to college. All of a sudden, it's like, eh. Might as well just make that twenty grand and enjoy some of the similar stuff. Now you will never have the fan base that you have at college, and that's fine. But you start you, uh, you know, if you have to charter if you get to charter flights instead of bussing around to games, that's a huge difference for anyone's life right there. Like that's yeah. enough to make the switch already. Yeah, fifty or seventy five instead of twenty would be would be a lot more. Oh yeah, and well. I think I think that and comes that, that with it too. Down too. The right. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to watch for sure. All right. Uh, final take for you, Chad Brendel, if anything, because this is our last podcast for the month of April, unless news ever. breaks. I don't know about ever. Is it ever? 
Maybe. Eh, maybe. I don't know. I don't maybe. Know. Maybe. Stop yeah, it. We'll see. Maybe. Might be done. We'll see. Maybe we might be back in May for for our monthly monthly uh, meetings. But go ahead. You got a final take? Um, get ready for some bumps in the road next year for both. I think you know we're. I think both are in stable situations, but uh, I think this year was definitely a peak season uh, for both programs. One seed and a two seed. Um, Xavier's obviously got a lot more changes than Cincinnati does, but Cincinnati's in a position where they're probably going to be without their three best players. Xavier's going to be without their three best players and a new coach. Um, don't expect a, a one and a two seed next year. Be ready for it to be a little bit, a little not bit. Even, not even in your conference tournament. <laughs> yeah, probably right. Well, I don't know. With, with UC could probably still win the American even without those three. Everybody, I mean, Shake's gone. Um, little, little Penny coming in. Shamit's gone. I mean, James, James Wiseman becomes 2018. You, <laughs> you, you might have a, an issue there. I do. I do think you know Connecticut did a great job as we talked about in the last podcast getting Danny early. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, this year was a lot of fun because we didn't have to talk about a lot of losing. And, uh, I think next year we're probably, we're probably going to, the tone will be uh, a little bit different yeah. when we, uh, reconvene next November. Rick Boy, you got a final take? It's 72 degrees out. It is time to go into your closet and find some summertime short pants. No doubt. Iron them. Throw them in the dryer, maybe release some wrinkles. I've got them hanging in my in my closet. It's okay. gonna be forty three tomorrow though, so just get them on today. Yeah. Yes, correct. Just wear them today. Yeah, and it's not but, summertime yet, so uh, they're not technically summertime but, short but, pants. But look, they're springtime short pants. Once too. once it hits seventy two, you gotta at least get them ready. Once it hits sixty, I'm gonna I'm gonna fifty five. I know, but I'm saying just, you're, it's okay. gonna fluctuate. I'm just saying, get them ready. All right, get I them may, ready. I may when I go home today, I may put them on just in your honor. Okay. You put it on Twitter. Should I take a selfie? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Do it. That's, that's Hashtag them summertime short pants. <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. Just for you. Be a man. Just for you. All right, boys. I appreciate it very much. Uh, we will hopefully be back uh, some points over the summer talking some more college basketball. And we'll be back with this podcast hopefully uh, sometime late October, November. We thank you guys for listening. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.